Hello, this is Beth Maples Bay, and this is Lesbian Echoes, a podcast about lesbians in Appalachia and beyond. Let's listen to the stories of lesbians over 70 and all the rich experiences they have to share. I can't wait to hear their stories. Can you? Today we have with us Nancy Mott, a beloved figure here in Knoxville, Tennessee, our home base. She is just a wonderful person and has had a great impact on our community. Let's connect with Nancy. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm fine. Welcome to Lesbian Echo. Yes, thank you. I feel very honored to have been invited to uh, participate in your very first Echo. Um, In the interest of transparency, I'm going to have to tell our listeners that you and I are friends and that we have been friends for a long time. and you are a beloved friend, if I may say so. Um, if you would just start, since we are um, a podcast for lesbians over 70, would you mind telling us how old you are? Yes. I'll have a birthday next month. Next month, I'll be 84 then. Um, I'm having a little trouble hearing you, but that's okay. Um, just tell us, Let me tell, us about your, tell, tell us about your lesbian life story, uh, if you would. You're breaking up. Tell us about your lesbian life story, if you would. My lesbian life when I yes. fell in love with the woman who was my wife. And that would have been about uh, 30 years ago. We've been together 30 years, but um, I suspected I could be lesbian if I chose uh, before that, but I sometimes joked that I was a slow learner. Well, um, you, you've done a lot of work in the community. I, I want you to tell our listeners about some of what you've done in the community and and specifically in the LGBTQ community, but also other things. Well, um, of course, I'm a counselor and have been for, oh goodness, uh, 50 years, I guess, uh, uh, close to it, 45 years. And um, so a lot of, I've done a lot of counseling in the lesbian community and gay community and have found that very satisfying. Um, 
as I don't have to tell your listeners, no doubt, that um, there's a lot of stress to being uh, lesbian or gay in in this day and age, LGBTQI even, um, because if you're in the closet, that's very stressful. If you know that who you are, but you have not come out, so to speak, that's really stressful. And then if you have come out, then you may have the stress of even losing friends, of trying to relate positively to uh, family friends who have maybe not known that about you, maybe quite quite ill-informed about uh, issues of sexuality. So let's see. Then, and then I've been very active in the church. I'm a very committed Christian, been very active in the Episcopal Church, uh, and um, active in an organization called Integrity, which is the LGBTQ uh, presence in the Episcopal Church. So we have worked hard at being a vital part of, of uh, the Episcopal Church and has seen the church in this area, the Diocese of East Tennessee, really come to... At this point, Nancy and I had some technical difficulties and I thought rather than edit it and destroys maybe some of the character of it, I would just add this little explanation. Yes, Nancy. We're on. Well, let's start where we left off. Um, You were talking talking about your involvement in the church with integrity. Uh Uh-huh. Well, this has been really exciting because, as probably your listeners know, the last uh, 30 years have been years of a lot of change in the acceptance of uh, a variety of sexualities. And this has been certainly true of the Episcopal Church. And I have been active locally with, that is, by locally I mean in the Diocese of East East Tennessee, which takes in East Tennessee and a little bit of Northern Georgia and a little bit of Southeastern Virginia. And then also on a national level, I've been to three different uh, meetings, general convention meetings of the National Church. Um, all of them, well, two of them, uh, were working on the integrity booth, which meant that as people came through the exhibit hall, they could engage us in conversation and uh, ask questions, etc. So that was exciting. And then you and I have were active in the 90s, in an organization that had to do with, in Knoxville, had to do with uh, gay um, uh, outreach. Uh, not gay, uh, what I mean is uh, AIDS 
AIDS response yes. and other other AIDS issues. Yes, uh, we did that quite a few years back. Yes, it was a long time ago. And that's that's how we met, actually. Yes, I think it was. Yeah, you you and I were both in, there, and I was a little afraid of you. Do you remember? <laughs> Why were you afraid of me, Nancy? Well, I thought you were kind of fierce, um, and uh, kind of, I don't know. Uh, anyway, I was, and you six. We have talked about it since then, and you were quite aghast uh, that I was that I would have felt that way. But I felt like, oh, if I'm in communion or in friendship with this woman, sooner or later she's going to be really angry with me. But that. As far as I know, that has not happened. No, I don't think I've ever been angry with you, Nancy. I was angry, but not with you. I was angry with the patriarchy. Yes, and, exactly. And um, tell our listeners a little bit about what you think life is like being a lesbian in the South particularly in Appalachia, although we do live in urban Appalachia. Well, of course, it's the only place I've been a lesbian. Uh, I visit my children north. Uh, one of them lives in in uh, uh, suburban New York City. And I have to say, I don't think that they're a whole lot farther along than we are here. Um... Uh, I managed to get the church that uh, my son and his wife and girls belong to. I got them involved, at least in identifying as being gay friendly. But uh, when when Linda became ill one year, when we were up there, very ill, in fact, and uh, the the priest of uh, of their church, St. Augustine's in Croton on Hudson. He had to be away, and he said, "Well, now, Nancy, if if she has to go to surgery and you need pastoral care, I have to say that the priests between Croton and this hospital uh, are not are not going to be helpful, and I think you'll have to call the Methodist minister." So that told me that <clears throat> it, it it could be iffy being gay up there, being a lesbian up there. Yes. So, I don't know. You're the, you're the one who could speak to that better, what it's like. I think that that Knoxville is a, um, has a, we have a significant progressive community. Uh, I'm very out. I don't, I may be sort of oblivious to people being uh, uh, being disapproving, but I don't feel that. I don't feel that that when I mention my wife, that the people cringe. Do well, you? one big one big difference might be that you did not grow up here. Yes, and, and you came out as an adult as opposed to an adolescent or young adult. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And so your, your experience would be totally different. Wouldn't you agree? Well, and I'm wondering why that would be. I think that um, 
I think that I wasn't expecting to be uh, disapproved of. I'd been married heterosexually for a long time. And so I just expected, okay, this is how you act when you're married. And do you think that would have had an effect? I'm sorry, I didn't understand what you said. <laughs> do you think the fact that I was just acting as a married woman, of course, for a long time, it wasn't legal marriage, it was partnership, but that I expected more or less to have to be to act the way I would what previously when I was married heterosexually. Now that being said, it was different in I, the 90s, I think. It was pretty different. I, I do think expectations enter into it, but I think that, uh, that adolescence in a more rural area, um, expectations don't enter into the picture yeah. quite as much. Oh no, um, I, think, I think in rural areas, I think it is a really difficult. And But my guess is that may be true in the North too. That if you are in a small town and you come to realize that you are lesbian or gay or transgender, that it's appalling. It's really difficult. And you just try to get to a city as fast as you can. In your experience as a counselor, did you speak with people who were in rural areas? Occasionally, or certainly had grown up in rural areas, and 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 if they, I think it more had to do with what their church background was. Uh, that if they grew up in a church that was not only uh, disapproving, but also appallingly so unloving once they knew that you were gay or so then they they were had to buck that uh, some churches are and and this is true across the board there are some churches Baptist and otherwise that have just a sense of loving their own even if they don't understand understand them and then there are other churches and, and this may have actually gotten worse as the cleavages of our society have deepened, that um, that coming out means that you are leaving your church, that the, the pastor that you worked closely with as, let's say, uh, a minister of music, suddenly they see you as if you had horns on your head. Absolutely. I think that's been true here for a long time for a lot of people. Yes. Uh, especially women. Men tend to gravitate away on their own uh, more so than women who who seem to cl want to cling to the church, uh, want to stay in the church, however you want to say it. And um, they... They, I've heard tales of them being actually cast out, as in cast out like demons. Yeah. 
if um, their if their uh, theology <laughs> if their yeah. theology is such that they believe in demons and and uh, demon possession uh i think that can happen but but i think it can happen uh i wouldn't see as much of a gender difference i fe- i've known i've known of men and women with that kind of experience and and of course if they know their church is like that it makes leaving much harder but then of course they may have a cleaner break and be freer to find a new community but well, if they, um, they don't think of gender differences i i would like for you to articulate a little bit about the differences you see if you see any in lesbian and gay experiences oh dear that's a hard question um i think that and of course it's always easy easier to exaggerate the differences in gender and to forget the differences there's a whole wide range of differences within women within lesbians and also a wide range of differences within men with gay men um i think that i think that women are faster uh, to want to get into a relationship um would you say that would, would you agree with that well yeah men men are um you know men are men <laughs> gay or straight <laughs> and they were likely to um well let's face it be promiscuous that's what i was and, say. Uh, yeah they they are more apt to want to experience a range of experiences and women are looking more quickly more want to experience a one-on-one relationship and they may get into them too quickly and then then they may get then give up on them i don't know um well i'd agree with that um i think part of that is because of needing support um they they have let's face it they they have two things going on they are women in a patriarchal context and they are lesbians in a heterosexual context yeah so um i think that they have two things going against them if you will as whereas men have gay men have one thing as opposed to two um but then that's my my feminist i <laughs> my <laughs> feminist viewpoint this <laughs> is true the the thing uh, uh, something else that though that goes on in that is that that heterosexual men they actually feel they feel anger toward gay men perhaps even more because they're they're um disrespecting 
the they see them as disrespecting their heterosexuality in which they take so so the anger toward lesbians which men may hope of a converting um which is nasty um but they the anger is different where they they're angry they're angry at they're angry at gay men for um casting aside their their what they see as an important uh male role does that make any sense Well, yes, I, but I would I would have to also point out that lesbians this conversion you're talking about is actually a threat of rape. Um rape is something that both men and women can be subjected to, but women are overwhelmingly the victims of rape. Oh, yes, that's Yes, that that's an uh you know another issue. So it's a it's a different the men may experience anger from from and and a lack of understanding from from heterosexual men and the women I think are more apt to experience uh rape and fear of rape. Uh right need their need to uh it's the the need to be careful uh you hear about a a brave woman hiking of course i don't know that she was lesbian but just a woman hiking alone on the Ab- on the appalachian trail and being raped uh women have a greater need to just be careful yes we live in a rape culture Yeah. Rape is all around us. And fear of rape is all around us. Yeah. And I think that sometimes lesbians feel that more acutely. Um I could be wrong, but but it it seems that way to me in in my own experience and in the experience I you know witnessed of other women. Mhm. Um But I want to talk a little bit more about you. <laughs> um, <laughs> you you are you are just really something. I want I would like for you to tell me. You have been out for many years and I would like to for you to tell me of your interest in activities. How have they changed if they had? <laughs> Well, since since COVID, I'm not very active in anything. Uh I'm being in my 80s, I'm I feel very vulnerable. I've gotten my lunch, my first shot though, <laughs> and beginning to think. Also, I feel as if as I do participate in activities on Zoom and whatever, I feel um I don't know, in I feel less of a calling to be active. Maybe maybe that'll change when when uh, things open back up from COVID. Uh I I remain very interested in politics and uh perhaps as things gear up politically toward uh the uh 2022 election 
maybe I will become more active again. Um, but let's see. What was your question? <laughs> well, the, before before I repeat the question, I'd just like to say that I think that there are going to be more online opportunities uh, because, or as a result of COVID. Um, Organizations are learning how to reach out to people online, through Zoom, whatever, more than they did before. So I think that even people who aren't too mobile are going to have more opportunities than they did before. Um, I so agree. I'm, I'm, so, it's making me hopeful because I'm not too mobile, as you know. Yeah, well, I hope that. I've enjoyed the fact that sometimes we'll tell Linda, oh, I'm going to be uh, going to St. Luke's Fellowship tonight. And she looks alarmed. She says, what do you mean? Where? And I said, oh, you know, Zoom. <laughs> so you don't have to be messed up. You just computer, your laptop. You don't have to get in the car. You don't have to drive somewhere. And uh, so I agree, and I think that will be good for the environment. We will be using our cars less. I think it's important for us to learn how to meet without um, without putting more uh, carbon dioxide in the air. So uh, I think that'll happen. Uh, but I think there's still uh, there've been all sorts of of. Um, demonstrations and so forth in Knoxville that I might have participated in except that I'm no nope, no nope, I'm in my 80s I'm not going to do that I am going to stay stay home and stay safe I'm going to outlive this darn thing uh, and and so far so good so good um, I think my my interest this is more a matter of my age I think or my past experience. <laughs> to be honest, with so much of church activities, when they come up with a new way of doing this or that, I'll think, oh yes, I remember when we did that in the 70s. And I'm I'm kind of over that. I, I, I think my faith is as deep as it ever was, but my my interest in in being involved in church activities is less. Perhaps my hope is, maybe my hopes have become more political and, and perhaps not not with a lot of reason. Although it's been, it's been a, a good thing to see uh, see President Biden working away. I'm, I'm, hope, I'm very hopeful for his presidency. Well, I know that they recently um, aired the Democratic Party for Tennessee, the election of the, the, the head of the Democratic Party online. And that was the first time I had ever gotten to see that. So maybe there will be many political opportunities for you. I know that in the last presidential, there were opportunities like phone calling and texting. But, you know, the, I don't know about you, but those texts got irritating after a while. Yes, um, I think we too much, uh, too much faith in, in those things. Uh, my, 
granddaughter, one of my granddaughters, uh, was employed by the state of the Democratic Party in Montana. And I helped her make, that was her, her big uh, assignment, was recruiting people to make phone calls and also door to door, which of course I couldn't do. But I think that, that the wisdom, political wisdom is that, is that canvassing door to door is much more effective than phone calls. People get irritated with phone calls. In my experience, calling Montana was that most people weren't answering or it was the wrong number. People change oh all the time. <laughs> so, uh, and or sometimes they were connected. I have one hilarious uh, phone call, and this is way off the subject, but I was calling a woman, let's say her name was Jane Doe, and uh, it was something more unusual than that. But it, it she she said she, uh, she said what is it? And I explained what I was calling about. She said I live in Connecticut. I have never been <laughs> How on earth? Well, someone had connected her name with this number, and uh, so I I began wondering how common that might be. Uh, then uh, Irene was hired in uh, the state of Georgia uh, for the uh, that runoff they had in early January, and uh, that was a much more relaxed situation for her because there were so many, she said, so many county organizations in Georgia were focused on that. The, that senatorial runoff and had pe they had people up she was in a county that had a high uh, African American population but others were also uh, canvassing there so people ended up sometimes having multiple canvassers come to the door and it, that was almost overkill but she still got her got her her pay. I was proud of her because she was down there for Christmas and her birthday. First Christmas away from home and her birthday, she, that I, the excitement of her birthday was that she was finally old enough to buy liquor. <laughs> Turned 21. Well, when I asked her about Christmas um, and she sound, didn't sound unhappy, I said, well, what did you do on Christmas? And she said, well, I mostly read there she was, alone in Georgia, <laughs> just reading. <laughs> well, as we say here in East Tennessee, bless her heart. <laughs> yes, right. I, that's how I felt toward her. I was very, very proud of her to, to not be feeling sorry for herself. Of course, it was her choice. She accepted the job. But anyway, uh, it would be interesting to see how those things change. Uh, perhaps uh, we'll, I think we'll go back to canvassing. Can, uh, India Concanon, I think, our mayor here in Knoxville certainly proved the advantages of canvassing uh, in, in that she won uh, beating a man whose campaign, a good man, a good Republican, although that 
that mayoral race isn't considered isn't considered a partisan, but he he was well. His campaign was financially supported, and she won it. If I'm memory's right, she won uh, with a third of the budget, but she just pounded the pavements. She knocked on a lot of doors, and people got a sense of who she was and wanted to vote for her. So anyway, I think that we'll go back to canvassing more. You're not just a little bit proud of her, are you? <laughs> I am proud of her. Yes, very proud of her. I'm sure you are too. Yes, my grandchildren. I am out of Knoxville. We. This is our second female mayor. I think that's a good thing. I'm sorry, Nancy. My hearing I said, again. I said I'm proud of Knoxville for electing. Its second female mayor, right? Second um, interval, yes. I I wanted to talk a little bit about with it being Black History Month. I know that you have a particular interest in African American history and literature and music. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and how you came to be interested in that? Well, um, my parents were, in, which was up north. We were in a little town that didn't have black people per, per se, uh, but they were very interested and concerned about race, and um, and and quite for the era, very enlightened. And so I kind of grew up as a child, wondering such things as. Why do they call this crayon flesh? It's not the flesh color of, of uh, much of the world's population. And why are the magazines, and back then, much more than even than, much more than today, why are all the advertisements showing white people? I think these were questions that. The, to some extent, were prompted by my parents' interest, and um, then uh, when my parents moved to Knoxville, they did so as my father was a minister. And uh, long story short, he became the pastor of St. Luke's Episcopal Church, which was a historically black church. Not having, we don't have as many black priests as we need, and he was called or placed placed by the bishop there, and that was a very happy experience for him. Uh, and so when I moved to Knoxville, long after he had died, uh, he died in '79. My mother and my brother stayed at St. Luke's. And so it was natural for me to become part of it when when I moved here. Um, so um, that has, I suppose that's those things are the primary things. Um, I'm just um, I'm keenly aware of the loss that we have if we're only subjected or only familiar with. With white music, white culture, 
Does that make sense? Um, Nancy. Yes. Okay. I, I think I think that I, I like the idea of a rainbow and of being, you know, not just one color of the rainbow, but the whole rainbow. Um, you have some personal reason for being interested in the black community also. Oh, yes. My, my stepdaughter, uh, for, for whatever reason, maybe she was just before her time but as a teenager, she was very interested in black boys. And so my grandsons, Linda's grandsons, she has uh, two, two boys, and uh, they are uh, black. In our culture, if you're white, black, half white and half black, that means you're black. And then my daughter married an African-American uh, man, and so her girls, I just referred to Irene. She's black, and her daughter, her sister's black. They're black. So uh, Linda and I have eight grandchildren, and half of them are black. So I, it, there's a, a there's a sense in which I sometimes feel that when if I'm in a, a a black group, I feel as if I look around and I feel like you you guys don't know it, but I am I'm really kind of black myself. <laughs> because my face doesn't look black, but because I have, but my grandchildren are black, and I was active, actually I was active in a black Baptist church in Oak Ridge when I lived there. I did I never joined it, but I was attending very regularly. So it's exposed me to a black culture in a way that's a little different from from, say, just going to a Martin Luther King celebration. Yes, it, it's immersion, almost, for you. Uh, you live in, a, in, a, in an area that is predominantly black. Uh -huh. I remember you telling a story um, about running a drug dealer off. <laughs> When you were in your mid-70s. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not... And kidding. I... I, Everyone at the meeting was aghast. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... I, I had to be... I had to look at you with a different eye from that day forward. <laughs> I certainly did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a story. <laughs> I, I I was in a safe location. I think the situation is I walked into a a uh, fast food uh, uh, place, and he was there. It was middle of the afternoon, and it was hardly anybody there. And he said, he said to the the the. Uh, two women he was with pointing to me that's the lady that um, put my grandmother out of business and I I didn't want to slink away like I was afraid of him since he had said it loudly enough for 
if there'd been other people, they'd have heard it. So I decided to just kind of walk past him and uh, not not real close, but say, oh, nice to see you again. And just, and then leave in measured steps, not like I was running away from him. I believe I heard that he since, he since has died. I mean, if, if there, they, we have signs, on, there's a church in Knoxville, there's a big sign. If you keep doing drugs, you're going to either, or if you keep selling drugs, you're either going to um, go to prison or die. And that's kind of a sad way of life. Sad that there are so many bright young people who don't see a way out of the ghetto uh, and out of out of their sad circumstances apart from selling drugs well one can only hope that when we build back better uh-huh. yes that, that there will be greater opportunity um, for black Americans and other people of color um, and other poor Americans poor white Americans um, once you're in the ghetto it's it's not easy to get out. Uh, maybe as we uh, are trying to make sure that in order to do, this is another advantage of the COVID, is we're trying to make sure that, that everybody has, uh, or at least all the children, have an iPad and have uh, Wi-Fi. What a difference this could make as we come out of COVID. Yes, if we ever do. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully. Well, at least, you, the snow's at least you have a start now. I'm. I'll probably be waiting until May. Yeah. They've opened it up to seventy and over, and I'm two years shy. Uh huh. So, but the um, next, I think they're probably. Uh, then the next group will be 65 and over and you'll be able to be in that group and here's a helpful hint Uh, I got my shot because my brother told me that his therapist had gotten a shot in a different county and so I uh, I, in fact this morning my, my wife is in her 70s so this morning i signed her up for every county within a you know within what a hundred miles maybe uh, a bunch of counties go, uh, going to their website to the website for their health department signing her up and that was how I got my shot in Cumberland County and if Sam would take you you could you could uh, be, you could get your your shot it's it's harder to get it in Knox County um, isn't that cheating <laughs> well you know we've got it's you've got a significant population and they've just now gotten the the uh, uh, the software for people to be able to sign up where I guess the smaller counties are using basically 
a state a state uh, capability. Did they ask you for any identification? They said uh, no. If, if what they go when you when you go to take your take your shot, you have to show your driver's license or your ID to show that you're that age. But on the sign up, um, I signed up. I think I signed up by telephone before, and this time with Linda, I did it online. But they do ask what county you're in. So, but if they have extra shots, they want to give them. They want to get them out there. They want to get them in arms, as they keep saying. And so uh, they knew I was uh, Cumberland County knew my address. When they called and asked me, uh, "Can you be here at 11 o'clock Central Time?" and uh, I th- I, well, at first they just said, "Can you be here between 11 and 12?" So, oh well, you know, I wasn't dressed, and I said, and then they said, "Now we're on Central Time." I said, "Oh yes, I can make that." So, so that's your first one. Do you know which kind it was? It was Pfizer. But oh, good. What they're saying—that's the one I trust the most. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah. I, I, I know my my uh, stepdaughter. Her shots that she got at Park West; those were Moderna. So they they don't tell you ahead of time what it will be, and I don't know that they know what it will be. Uh, well, I'll take anything I can get. I but too. I would too. But when you get your first shot, they give you an appointment for your second shot. Okay. Yeah. So, so that's you- something that's certainly of concern to all of us who are 65 and over, and and everyone for that matter. Yes. Um, especially with these new variants coming on, um, that seem to be targeting children more uh-huh. than. Some of the other ones did, so yeah. I, I think it's, it's important for everyone, but especially elderly or people with health conditions. And I certainly have some of those. Yeah. <laughs> yes, um, so, is there anything else that you th- can think of that we haven't covered that you would like to cover? Well, not off the top of my head, but you know, if you want, we could schedule another one. If you think of the, some things that you would want to ask me, um, oh, I know. Let me tell you about someone that I counsel a long time ago without giving any uh, any identifying characteristics. But she was a lesbian. She was. Um, Not well educated. She country Baptist church, and it, she. I remember she was dedicated to her grandmother, just devoted to her grandmother, and who did not know she was gay. She had been active in the gay community, but she felt like she was going to hell. And when I, when I sort of was trying to. Introduce her to other ideas of, of approaching Christian faith. She was she was really appalled. It was and she said, "Well, you know, if I get to where I don't think I'm going to going to hell, 
That's when I'm really going to hell. Wow. My goodness. Wow. Bless her, as we say, bless her heart. Yes. Where do you go with that? So, uh, I don't time ago. That would have been back in the 90s. And, uh, but I've, I've, I've enjoyed my, the counseling I've done with lesbian people, lesbian women and gay men. Uh, it, it, they're, they're courageous people, tender people. Well, Nancy, I can see that, that you have lived and are living a very rich and varied life um, with lots of interest and lots of stories to tell. And I greatly appreciate your sharing your stories with us today. Well, I've enjoyed it, Beth. And if there are things that <clears throat> that you think of that we haven't covered, I'd be glad to do another session and you can splice it together. Okay. Well, I guess we'll say goodbye then. All righty. Thanks, Beth. Thank you. Have you have a nice day. Uh-huh. Take care. Bye-bye. Love Bye-bye. You. Love you. And that's a wrap for Season 1, Episode 1, February 2, 2021, with Nancy Mott and Beth Maple Faye here in Knoxville, Tennessee.